0: You don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The
1: following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com.
0: Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guests, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. If you're on the West Coast, we're in the morning. If you're on the East Coast, you are in the afternoon. And my guest is from Israel, so she's at a totally different time in the evening. Uh, our guest today is Sherry Mendel. She's an Israeli author, mother, and activist. She is best known as the mother of Kobe Mendel a 13-year-old American boy who was murdered near their home in the West Bank in May of 2001. Mandel and her husband, Rabbi Seth Mandel, founded the Kobe Mandel Foundation, and she wrote a book about the murder entitled Blessings of a Broken Heart. And she also is the author of the Writers of the Holocaust and has written for numerous magazines and journals, including the Washington Post. She also created a foundation, Called the Kobe Mandel Foundation. Welcome, Sherry. Thank you. Yeah, nice to have you on the show. Um, I met you about a month or two ago at the National Jewish Retreat, where you gave a very compelling and heartfelt keynote talk. And I was very moved by it. And I really wanted to speak with you, not just about what happened, but about how we can move on through our grief. And you're doing so many positive things. I mean, it was a terrible tragedy. But you're also helping thousands of people who are going through grief and uh, also through Camp Kobe and through Kobe Mendel Foundation. Talk about that.
0: Okay, well... After my son was murdered in 2001, he was murdered with Josephine E. Schrum, we saw that there wasn't a lot of support for children. Our children were 11, 10, and 6, and a lot of people came in right away to help us, but the kids really, kids and families like ours are silent victims because in a way they lose their parents, also they lose the family they had. And we got the idea to do a camp for bereaved children and this was, we did the camp already in 2002, a sleepaway camp. And we thought we would have like 20 children, and we, we had 100 children. And then the next year, it was the Intifada, and we had 500 kids at the camp. And we've run the camp ever since for terror victims. And now um, we run it for three children from other tragedies as well in Israel. Mm,
1: amazing. And what's the premise of the camp? Tell us what some of the things that you do at the camp.
0: Well, the camp is a lot of fun, and we have a lot of fun activities, but we also do um, therapy. So we have art therapy or music therapy or drama therapy. And it's actually, it's not a bereavement camp. It's a camp for bereaved children. So the main point is that the kids share with each other. We create an environment where the kids feel free to talk because the kids do want to share their stories, but they'll not They'll only talk when they feel safe. Like when I talk to the kids sometimes, once I spoke to a group of 8-year-old girls at the camp, and I spoke to them and I told them my story, our story, and they all started calling out their stories to me because when they feel that somebody understands, they want to share, and it's very important to tell the story, and when you tell the story and you share the story, you... Create a new story. So Mm -hmm. their their pain. Our goal is to transform these kids into leaders one day.
1: And have a lot of them had loss in their life with siblings or parents who come to the camp. The the kids have all
0: lost a parent or a sibling. Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: So it's really it's really a healing experience for them once you kind of help them to express
0: well even if they don't express if they don't want to talk about it somebody else talks about it so it's very validating for them and it's also a place that where they can let go of being believed in a way because usually in school a lot of times they won't talk about it the mm. teachers don't know how to deal with it so they don't express it and it's like a hidden identity but at the camp because Everybody knows it, that they belong there. So in a way, it's the one place that they can let go of it.
1: Yes, what a, what a wonderful uh, thing that you're doing. In, in Jewish, we call it a mitzvah, but uh, yeah. in, I should say in Hebrew, but it's uh, such an amazing... Um, because I, I wonder if there are other camps like this for bereaved children, I
0: haven't heard of any. Are there? Yeah, there are, there are I believe there are camps with bereaved children in America, and there are camps from 9-11. but our camp is unique. First of all, because it, it's oh, it's it's about nine days of sleepover, and uh-huh. also because um, our, because Israel is such a small country, our counselors can be in touch with the kids all year. And we have reunion programs during the year. Well, we try to have them when we can afford them. But the counselors, in any case, get together with the kids. Or we have Sabbath programming. So we create an ongoing community for these kids. And I saw with my own son. He had a counselor. And I always knew when my son was speaking to his counselor during the year because he would spend hours talking on the phone to him. And his counselor came to his bar uh and mm-hmm. his counsel would come to the memorial service for Colby. So we create a support network because what we find is that grief is really too much for an individual family to bear, and the mm-hmm. only way to be able to carry it usually is to have a community. And so mm-hmm. we, we create a bigger community for the kids.
1: How important. Sherry, talk about your book, Blessing of a Broken Heart. Uh, which is a book about the murder. What is your message in your book?
0: Um, My message in my book was, the book starts in the cave because uh, Kobe and Joseph were murdered in a cave. And what happens during the book is that I I tell Kobe's story and the story of making Aliyah of moving to Israel. And then I tell the story of what happened all these year after Colby was killed. I had a lot of incidents with birds where birds, like, hit me in the head. Birds fell at my feet. I I dreamt about birds, and then I went and I learned about birds in the the Kabbalah. And what I learned was that the Messiah, he was compared to a bird that flew in and out of his nest trying to um, rescue the world. And so the first part of the book is the cave, and the second part of the book is the bird's nest. And the message is that we can move from... The the cave is so dark that you can't leave it by yourself. But if you have the kindness and support of a community, then you can flip that image around or that kind of claustrophobic... Darkness around, and it becomes a place from which you can take flight. So Mm -hmm. the message is that you can you can emerge from the pain if you have enough. um,
1: What's your advice? What's your advice to parents early on in this kind of pain, whether their child has been killed, God forbid, or whether they. Died in an accident or because of an illness. These sudden deaths—I mean, death isn't easy in any event—but sudden deaths are, are, are most difficult. What would be your first piece of advice to someone who has been through this recently?
0: Uh, first of all, to let yourself grieve, to let yourself feel the pain. A lot of a lot of doctors will try to give you medication right away and sleeping mm-hmm. pills right away. We see that all the time and. I feel that you have to. I mean, for me, touching the pain and being in that place of brokenness is very important. And also, I think just to understand that there's um, that you don't really move on; that you move with the person. The person Mm -hmm. is a part of your life, and it's um, Freud used to talk about that you have to separate from the person totally. And now. Psychologists say that's not true, that you, you continue a relationship. It's not a physical relationship and it's not really the relationship you want. But it, it, there is a spiritual relationship and that person in a way can be like a wind behind you that pushes you to do something great in the world. Mm. Because I know, I know for us we felt like Kobe's, Kobe's body was dead but his spirit was still with us and we were going to find a way to allow that spirit to express itself.
1: And do you do you the, find I, I, do you feel you communicate with him? Do you feel there's some communication there?
0: But I didn't understand say
1: it again. Do you feel that you uh, that in some way you are communicating with him now?
0: Um, not not directly, but I feel that he's just changed our lives so much. The you know the murder, his death, his absence, he's changed our lives so much that we're just different people now, and we would mm-hmm. never. Have been able to do what we've done except for what happened and then also I feel like our love for them has just, in a way, pushed us to, to go beyond what, what we would have done in life. I know for me, like my, I, I, my Hebrew was terrible. I had to speak this year. They, I was invited to speak at the Memorial Day service, a national Memorial Day service in Israel that was broadcast on television, and it's something I didn't really want to do, but I I did it. I went beyond myself because I felt like, in respect to him and in honor to honor him and and Joseph. so I guess that the message is that yeah, the pain is real. But there's also power in that pain and that if you can harness that power, you can really, you can do great things in the world. And that hidden in every pain and every suffering is some kind of secret that needs, yeah. that, that can be revealed yeah. to the world.
1: One of the things that you talked about in your keynote talk that was so compelling was the story about being a holy beggar. Explain that mm-hmm. to our listeners.
0: Oh, so, Kobe was noted in May. Of 2001, he he was 13, and uh, five weeks later it was his birthday, his 14th birthday, and we didn't know what to do. And my my friend Shira, who was also a a grief counselor, she said to me, You have to do something to mark Kobe's birthday. And I just felt like staying in bed, and then I felt there was nothing I could do. And my husband was busy, but I took my children into Jerusalem and we were going to go out to Burger King to celebrate Colby's birthday because that's what he loved, and we couldn't do it, and went into a vegetarian restaurant, and I put my head on the table. The kids, it was cafeteria-style, they went to order, and I was just crying, and I just just begged God. I said, what am I going to do? What am I going to do for Colby's birthday? And these words fell into my head, 14 beggars. And when the kids came back to the table, I said, "I know what we're going to do for Cody's birthday. But we're going to give money to fourteen beggars." And the minute I said that to them, and I gave them money, a beggar came to our table, and we just gave so much. We gave all the money to him, and we were so happy to see him. And he was in shock because I don't think he ever got a better reception from anybody. Mm-hmm. And then we ran out on the streets of Jerusalem, and we went chasing beggars.
1: What what was the healing
0: in that for you, Sherry? The feel, What was the feeling? The healing. healing. How did that heal? How oh, was that healing? Uh, well, first of all, because it transformed us already from people who were like needy to people mm. who could give, mm-hmm. and it also became a game. It was something that was playful and, and fun, even though it, it was an act of giving. And it also created meaning right away because the meaning we'd had that I had had in my life, I I could no longer um, rely on. It, it wasn't enough. So it was it was a way of giving and just going beyond. It, I wasn't the kind of person who would have gone out looking for beggars before this. And then it became a ritual because every year you know for like five or six years after that we went out and gave money to beggars on Kobe's birthday
1: and and that so, that is to show the symbol
0: of giving yes yeah it's yeah it's kindness and it's also a way of marking each year because we would I give uh, the 13 beggars, 14 beggars, 15 beggars. Mm. Um, mm. Eventually we stopped, and my kids would say, what, you know, when, when Kobe would have been like 60, we're going to have to give to 60 beggars, and we won't be able to afford it. But it was, yeah. it was like yeah. it, 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 it became also something that the family could do together. Because, mm. And it was something alive. That that's the message. Yes. Also, a lot of people make memorials that are dead, and this is something alive. And and it's really yes. important to do something in memory that's alive and that that grow that, that sort of can keep growing. Because what happened was, other people I knew would do something on Kobe's birthday. Like I had a friend who she went to an orphanage and gave like to 14 kids on Kobe's birthday. And then the people who read my book also read the story. And a few have written me and said that they've done similar more things on Kobe's birthday or on an important memorial birthday for them.
1: Hmm. Hmm. You know, I want to ask about something that often really is challenged when these things happen with the death of children, and that is the relationship between the husband and wife how did you get through that? What were some of the things you did to cope? And I know your husband's a rabbi, but we're all people. So, (laughs) you know, sometimes we think, well, if you're married to a priest or a rabbi, then it's easier. But the emotions are still deep. How did you work through that,
0: Sherry? Yeah, well, I think in a way we were blessed because... We live in a small town, (laughs) and we live on a settlement in Israel, but it's a small town. So, like, for example, my husband, six weeks weeks after Kobe was killed, he was invited to America to speak, and he went. And I think that would have been really hard on me. I mean, it was hard on me, but, like, a 16-year-old girl neighbor moved in with me, with us, Uh while he was gone. So that a lot of times men are more active and less involved in expressing their emotions. But I think my husband and I, we were, we just felt very similar. We, we, shared, we shared the pain a lot. And I, I think because we had other people in our lives, the fact that he was so active, it didn't, I didn't feel alienated from it because other people would come and talk to me and stay with me. You know, I had mm-hmm. friends who came every day to speak to me and to mm-hmm. help me, That's and I wonderful. had we had people in like a, a frat, a neighboring community, who brought us food every you know Shabbos every Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So, because we had all that support, I wasn't as needy of him yes. in yeah. a way, and he yeah. also felt a kind of freedom that he could do what he needed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But we also shared the pain a lot. Like we we definitely. We're on the same wavelength. It was, we were very close. And we were so close, but we were very close after Kobe was good because we felt like we were the only ones who could understand each other.
1: Mm. Now, you're in a land, you know, that is plagued by terrorism. Um, What are your thoughts about this? Are you hopeful for the future? And if so, where is the hope? I mean, Israel's a very small country in the midst of all Arab countries. And it right, survives. Right. It survives. <laughs> so talk about that. That's that's an amazing feat in itself. Talk about David and Goliath.
0: Yeah, well, it's you know, it's very frightening now because there's Syria to the north and Egypt to the south and a whole host of other countries that are in a lot of turmoil right now and, you know, 100,000 people killed in Syria and we need to get gas masks now. And so mm. it's very frightening. But... We have hope for the future, you know, we have hope, I feel like we have hope for peace, that we, you know, I mean, I'm religious, I believe in God, and so we're, we're told that things can change, in, you know, in a second, and maybe they'll change for the better. So I, I think also, it's the Jewish way, in a way, just to have hope and to, to feel that... yes. There's a possibility for peace even in the Mm -hmm. face of terrible terrorism and you know enemies that hate us but Mm i i think the jewish way is always to choose life Mm -hmm. and to the israeli way also is to try to choose life and to try to believe you know to prepare for the worst but to believe in the best
1: talk about the kobe mandel foundation which was established in 2002 it does sponsor Camp Kobe, which is its flagship program for children who've lost a parent or a sibling in an act of terror. You also have mothers' healing retreats for women bereaved by terrorist violence. Talk about those—how you direct those retreats?
0: Yeah, well, we started out doing retreats um, during the Intifada, during the time when there was ter- terrorism, was terrible, and we would take twenty women away at a time. And we would do, first of all, we would allow the women to express their pain because most groups, lots of pensive therapists are reluctant to allow the the women to express their pain. So we really had two days with them where we would go from pain and then we'd do art therapy and yoga. We'd have every woman got a massage and we would walk on the beach and do yoga and breathing. And we would really move into like dancing and kind of a relief and, a, I wouldn't say a joy, but a feeling of, of camaraderie and a feeling of peace, mm-hmm. and of peace. And now the programs have continued, like I'm planning now for the fall because the, the year here doesn't really start until the Jewish holidays are, are finished with and we're mm-hmm. just starting them. So we have, um we do psychodrama. Mm-hmm. And ceramics—it's like work with with clay. And we we wrote a play, the the Bereaved Mothers in Jerusalem, and we mm. acted it out. We did that for two years, and we do. One of the mothers teaches us yoga. We also have a belly dancing class, and we um, we just have a lot of activities for bereaved mothers, and it's it's a place where once we do it every week so it's like wednesdays is um Kobe mandel foundation day for bereaved women in jerusalem Mm -hmm. and mothers when they can come together believe mothers and have a place where they can express their joy and their pain and Mm -hmm. just share their lives then it's much easier in the rest of their lives because they feel understood so it doesn't matter if on the rest of the days there are some misunderstandings or some feelings yeah. of alienation or just miscommunications.
1: Well, I, I want to applaud you for this amazing work. You know, as you wrote in one of your things, you could have stayed in bed for the rest of your life, but you didn't, and you were making a difference in thousands of people's lives. Uh, and, and it's really um, very admirable, and I want to thank you for your work. And please tell our listeners where they can find you, the foundation, the camps, all of the work you're doing, and your book.
0: Okay, so um, my book is called The Blessing of a Broken Heart, and it's available on Amazon, okay. The Blessing of a Broken Heart. And then we have a website, kobemandel.org, it's K-O-B-M-A-N-D-E-L-L dot O-R-G. Right. And we're also on Facebook the Kobe Mandel
1: Foundation. All right. And anything about Camp Kobe, that's also on there as well. Yes. All right. Thanks so much, Sherry, for being on the program. I really appreciate oh, it. Before we go, what's your yeah. closing thought for our listeners? What would be the one thing you'd want to say to our listeners who are grieving parents or grieving children?
0: Oh, well, that's
1: a tough one.
0: Uh, that it's... um. It's a lifelong lesson, I think. Mm, <laughs> it's, it's, right. it's something that you live with, and that the idea of light, it gets lighter, it eases, but just to believe that you can, you can grow from it. Yeah.
1: I heard someone say, a grief counselor say, you create a new normal. You're not normal the way you were
0: before, it's a new normal. Yeah, I I think it's more a new extraordinary, you know. Uh, that you, it, a new normal. is think it's not so much going to work because I, I feel like you you can't go back to normal. You have to go beyond normal because it's to, to balance out the pain. You have to go above what you would have done. So uh, I I feel like you really need to find find something extraordinary. Find your you know find your passion and live your passion because. You know what pain is, so you really do know you can you can find a greater joy. Thank you so much. How beautiful. Thank
1: you, Sherry. Thanks for being okay. on the program. All right, stay on okay. the line for a minute. All right, folks, okay. that closes Thanks. out today. Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on Voice America, America's Voice. Stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Write to me, Patricia, at PatriciaRaskin.com. Until next week, I'm Patricia Raskin. Bye for now. I'm mm-hmm. sorry.